touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland and today I am joined by a special guest, the busiest man in podcasting, Mr. Tom Merritt. Hi, Tom. Hey, John. How's it going, man? It's going great. You know, Thomas, it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> did I do gonna that? Call me, if you I call did. me John, you I'll can, call you, you Thomas. You can call me Thomas. That's fine. All right. That's totally fair. Well, it makes uh, up the, uh, the, uh, the, it's the conservation of syllables. <laughs> yes, we have to, we have to maintain that balance. If we end up dropping any, then obviously people are going to realize the quality of the audio is bad. They can't see that we're both wearing white tie tuxes, so they don't know how formal we really are. Right. We've actually decided that, uh, uh normally we would only communicate through our servants, but we, we've given them some time <laughs> off. Carson the has the day off, so. Yes. Well, uh, Tom Merritt, for those of you who who may not know, hosts about every other podcast that's not that's How so Stuff not Works. True. That's not true. <laughs> I, I, I think I think How Stuff Works and Serial are the only two you're not doing. Well, Serial's uh, done, so yeah, yeah. So I mean, come on. And can you believe? Oh, uh, I'm not gonna split. <laughs> well, fortunately, this this episode will air well after everyone's had a chance to listen Hopefully, to that. Yeah, yeah. Although I have not, uh, Tom. You are the host of numerous shows, as I said, including Daily Tech News Show, a phenomenal show. If you want to know what is going on in technology on a day-to-day basis, you got to go check that one out. Highly recommend it. Uh, I've even been a host a few times on that show. It's and been you shall be phenomenal. again, sir. Hooray. I love doing it. And I've asked Tom here to do the one thing in the world that I look forward to the most every single year, which is the end of the year, beginning of the year predictions for the next 12 months. But instead of sticking my neck out or having Tom stick his neck out, making ridiculous predictions for what's going to happen in 2015, we decided we were going to look at other people's predictions and then weigh in on, with our opinion about whether or not we agree with those predictions or maybe maybe we conditionally agree Something like that. And we've picked a whole bunch of them to go through. I have put on so, a powdered wig to sit in judgment over these predictions. I, uh, I have my scrying glass here. Excellent. Um, it's, uh, it's actually a palin beer. It's not quite the palin tea. You know, I've always said, Jonathan, that you know all there is to know about the scrying game. <laughs> this is true. You have said that. All right. So we're going to start with some Samsung predictions that the Verge published. And, uh, these are the ones that, that I thought would be kind of fun to begin with. The first one is that wearable technology is going to create a new era of power dressing for business leaders. So a, a smartwatch or other wearable device is now going to be seen as a status symbol. You're going to be able to tell how important an executive is by the type of smart accessories they're wearing i guess where do you where do you come in on this tom so th- this is a prediction coming from samsung right yes yeah this is a fairly aspirational prediction don't you think i i agree like, yes. i feel like samsung's trying to incept this into the mind of business leaders like you'll need a gear watch if you want to be seen as powerful but sometimes that's the way it works I think if anybody makes that happen, it's going to be Apple. They're the ones trying to push the fashion end of this a lot harder. 
I agree. I think uh, obviously Samsung, I mean, all of Samsung's predictions are going to have that sort of, of bias, if you will. Uh, you know, obviously it's this, it's how they want things to go because it's going to be where their businesses will be successful. So there's nothing wrong with that. And, you know, there is something to say about drumming up enthusiasm for something that you have an interest in. Sure. I just, I just don't know that there's been anything out yet that is really going to catch on. And I mean, I say that as someone who owns a smartwatch and I've got a couple of other independent smartwatches that I backed on various crowdfunding uh, campaigns that will supposedly get to me at some day, but I, I, I'm an early adopter type. I, I don't know that we're going to see high powered executives, you know, casually pulling their sleeves back to show off their smart accessory at every given opportunity without being mocked. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, it's actually been one of the things that Apple addressed when they announced the Apple watch was the fact that watches haven't looked to that good and and that that's not to say that i am judging that apple solved that problem or not um but that is that is the issue is they have to get that tog hewer uh rolex crowd to decide that they want a smartwatch if they really want to get into the high dollar item game of this maybe this is samsung tipping their hand a little huh saying maybe. Hey, we will be coming with the rolex of smartwatches this year well we'll have to keep an eye out and see i i like you, Tom, I am a little skeptical of this one. So their next one is that people will restructure their working lives around personal power hours as technology reveals peak performance times. So this is this seems to say as we're using these devices, they give us real time feedback on what is going on with our bodies, our heart rates, that we will start to see the peaks and troughs of our activity and, and when we are most effective and that we will magically restructure our days so that they match those peaks and troughs and we avoid everything else, which I think sounds amazing. But I'm not sure that corporate America is ready to to go that route. Yeah, I, I can't see uh, the excuse. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't have a meeting then. It's not during my power hours. Yeah. Uh, going down very well. This one at least is less directly related to a Samsung product, right? This is a general like Samsung's great with productivity. And so, you know, this is the kind of thing you'll be able to get. I, I'm co totally cool with this one. Mm -hmm. uh, I just don't think it's going to be true. I mean, I would like the idea of them telling me like, hey, you're going to you're most productive. We've analyzed your personal data and you're most productive at these times of days. That'd be kind of cool. I just don't see that becoming a common trend. Yeah, I'm lucky in that I work for a company where they are very flexible with the way we do our work. So I come in super early because I tend to be, I'm one of those people. I'm most effective first thing in the morning. And so uh, I also tend to stay late, but if I could leave earlier, <laughs> if I so chose, I just tend to have other things going on in the office, like recording episodes of tech stuff. Tech for stuff. Yeah. Sorry about yeah. that. No, 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 this, this is not unusual for people. me. <laughs> not unusual for me. But yeah, I don't I don't see this as being something that easily gets gets rolled out. Maybe it's something we'll see happen in the United States over time. I mean, certainly in Europe, they have very different approaches to the workday, but it may be that that it'll still take some time for that to, to come yeah, over yeah. to North America. Um, 
They also said that virtual reality technology and innovative use of displays will lead to a new generation of digital shops, allowing retailers to overcome space constraints and high rent. So I guess this would be where you'd go to a mall, except the mall is a kiosk with a head-mounted display, and you put that on, and then you just virtually walk through all the stores. And the Gear VR will be the way to do it. Um <laughs> I, you know, I'm actually with them right up until they say a new generation of digital shops. I could totally see as, as things like the Gear VR and the Oculus Rift and, and, uh, Sony's Morpheus, Project Morpheus come around. And, and, and this seems to be 2015 is the year we'll see the first of these really hit retail that, um, that, that, yeah, there'll be digital shops and we'll be able to walk around a shop. Whether that will actually allow retailers to overcome space constraints and high rent, that seems more of a stretch. Well, they, they still have to have the inventory somewhere, right? Right, right. I mean, I can see it taking a business that might have been stymied by the fact that they really can't afford the shop front that they need, open a digital shop instead. In that case, yeah, they would overcome space constraints. But I don't, I, yeah, I don't see the, the mall kiosk suddenly becoming a huge showroom. Yeah, I also worry about um the the disorientation factor because I've played with the Oculus Rift for a while and I'm not sure I want to go to a mall that's just coated in vomit. Um <laughs> I mean, it's not my scene. Hey, you know, let, we'll not judge, but I'm with you. Uh, okay. Not my not my scene either. <laughs> uh yeah, and maybe I'm just maybe I've just reached that age, Tom. Right, we're finally, just too old. I've just hit that age. These days love the vomit covered malls. <laughs> well, I was thinking more about being, being able to, <laughs> to adjust to the, the disorientation of the Oculus Rift, but sure, let's go but with sure. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, they also said that automated home systems will move from geek to chic, driven by a dramatically improved user experience. This is one I really can get behind because we've been seeing the, the progression of this with stuff like Nest. Despite their, their smoke detector problems that they had in 2014, uh, we've seen these sort of systems that are starting to get more and more interconnected become more user friendly, easier to install, more attractive and less of the jerry rig systems that a lot of geeks were using, the, the bleeding edge, uh, uh, adapter, adopters rather. And, uh, so I actually agree with this one. I think we will see a lot more automated home systems enter into the mainstream. Yeah, this is one that you could easily dismiss as self-serving because Samsung Smart Home uh, exists, but I, I think that doesn't matter. Uh, I think they're totally right. Maybe Geek to Chic is overstating it a touch, but yeah, yeah I, I'm with you. I think automated home systems this year will come into their own and we'll see, like you say, things like Nest become even more popular, more competitors for that, and more people who aren't on the bleeding edge uh, saying, oh, yeah, I think I might try out one of those smart light bulbs slash thermostats slash smoke alarms, et cetera. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of the way I see it is I see the automated home system year of 2015 be kind of like the fitness wearable of 2014, mm -hmm. where where we saw 2014, we saw numbers double yeah. in, in fitness uh, adoption, wearable adoption. But it was still it's still relatively small compared to the overall consumer market, but it shows a trend of growth. So I think that's what we're going to see. Definitely with you on that one.
And then I love this one. I don't know that I agree with it, particularly living in the state of Georgia. But every child born in the next 12 months will learn coding as a core subject alongside numeracy and literacy. Did you say coding or coding? Coding. coding. Oh, like programming. Developing. Yeah. Yeah. Not yeah. code. No, no, not not opiates. We're That's good. That That's way. good. Yeah. Because I would totally disagree with that one. This one, you know, it throws you off the way they phrased it here where they say yeah. like every child born in the next 12 months will learn coding you got to keep reading because it's like no they won't little babies will not be learning coding. right right uh, no. but what they're saying is as they grow up over the next 12 to 13 years coding will become a core subject and i kind of think they're right about this you know that the nice thing about this prediction for them is that it's going to take a while before they're proven right or wrong yeah, it's a clever way to do a 2015 prediction, right? You're right. saying the babies born this year will, and now a prediction that it will take 12 years to prove true. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, cool. I, I like that you're optimistic about this. I'm a little more pessimistic simply because I see so many issues with the various uh, school programs that are already in existence. I do think code, coding is a very important skill set to, to learn. It's something that I learned on my own. And even then, it was you know very limited. I mean, I was working in Apple Basic at the time, um, so it's one of those things I think definitely needs to be taught. If you talk to computer scientist professors, they always mention about how incoming classes coming into the the freshman level computer science courses have little to no experience in coding, uh, usually at the college level, and that it's very. I mean, that's the reason why we see things like the Raspberry Pi coming out like it was supposed to be an inexpensive way to help young kids learn and, and get interested in uh, programming. So There's I certainly so hope it's true. Many programs, and I, I don't mean the pun in that case, uh, that are trying to encourage education to pick up programming and coding as, as something that they need to teach that I, I feel like over the time scale, they're saying, which is, you know, children born next year will grow up into a world where it becomes that that it's almost inevitable to me but i i also see where you're coming from john nothing where <laughs> it actually uh it, it actually is going to take a lot to get it there um mm -hmm. there's a, my 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 belief in the prediction is because there just seems to be an overwhelming force pushing for it mm -hmm. but it's not going to happen next year it's not even going to happen yeah. the year after that. It's going to it's going to take that force to continue to build up and and people starting to see the benefits of it directly and and all of that. So, yeah, it's going to take probably five to ten years before it actually happens. But then that still works with this prediction. Yeah, right. right? I mean, yeah, this is that. And, and you make a really good point. Plus things that I didn't even consider, things that we'll probably talk about a little bit later in this episode uh, that have unfolded also create a real impetus to teaching people how to code things like security breaches mm -hmm. where we're going to need a new generation of people thinking about security in a new way to protect the data that we have. I mean, 2014 was the year of the security breach. We had so many eBay, you had, you had target, you had Kmart, you had Mount Gox getting destroyed. I mean, it was it, Sony it, pictures, it, entertainment, an, an excellent lead. timely picture. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. So this is definitely something I could I could see as being uh, a real a real um, incentive to try and get coding into schools more uh, more universally. So all right, I, I'm coming around to that one. Right, well, right. I've I've got some other predictions here. Here's some 
from thestreet.com. And the first one is kind of interesting that Facebook in sometime in 2015 will come out with a Facebook for work campaign, which would make it more of a competitor to LinkedIn. And it would incorporate things that Facebook's already worked with, things like uh, instant messaging or maybe even bringing back some of the Facebook email stuff they experimented with earlier. And that it would also include probably some form of productivity, cloud-based software, you know, doc sharing, collaboration. And so uh, the, the thought here is that Facebook, in order to grow, uh, you know, when, once you hit a billion users, it's, it's hard to find those opportunities, is really going to aim at the enterprise level to create something that specifically allows companies to uh, work together, but in the Facebook realm. Do you agree with that? I think it is almost a hundred percent certain that Facebook has at least one project underway exploring this and probably multiple projects exploring this. Uh, when there's a lot of, you know, Microsoft bought Yammer long time ago. LinkedIn, uh, is extremely popular. Uh, there's a lot of case studies to show that social networks in the workplace, you know, are helpful in this and that way. And I can't believe that Facebook wouldn't be exploring this. It's a different matter of whether they will get it to the point where they say, yes, we've got a product or we're going to we're going to launch this year. The one thing that I think people forget, though, which might make you think, ah, I don't know if Facebook's going to want to do this. Would workplaces want to be associated with the Facebook name because it's, you know, it's got all of this baggage about personal uh, sharing and privacy, et cetera. Facebook is now lots of other companies, you know, uh, the most prominent being Instagram, but they mm -hmm. they own lots of other projects like paper that they launched that uses Facebook more as a back end for something. I could see them basically creating a startup within Facebook that's not called Facebook, doesn't market themselves as Facebook that does this. That seems to be the most likely way that this happens. I, I agree. I think that if they position themselves in such a way where it's not, you know, not Facebook for work, which I, and I don't mean to suggest that the street dot com feels like that would be the name of the service. Obviously, they had to call it something for their prediction. Uh, but I agree. I think if they marketed it a different way, but used the Facebook back end as the, the platform upon which all this was built, it makes perfect sense. Um, it is an untapped market for Facebook, apart from, I mean, you could argue that Pages is kind of them dipping their toe in that. Sure. But that's a different, that's a forward-facing, a customer-facing approach, as opposed to something that allows companies to do the work they need to do uh, internally. So, yeah, uh, I agree with that one, too. The next one I'm not so sure about. I go back and forth on it. Amazon is going to get their gosh darn delivery drones in the air before the end of 2015. Going to get their drone on. Yeah. That was the prediction. They the it went they went on to say that they felt that the FAA and Congress would be under intense pressure to allow this to happen and that that alone would be enough to propel the issue forward so that Amazon would get the clearance. A couple of companies have already received some clearance to use drones in commercial matters but not Amazon. So the thought is that by pointing at these other cases, Amazon would be able to make a very strong argument to get their drones in the air. Do you think that is true? Do you think by the end of 2015, the stuff that you will be ordering for the holidays for your friends and family will be delivered by drone? If I live in Sydney, Australia, possibly. Uh -huh. uh, but yeah, I don't. 
The FAA is famously not sensitive to pressure. They are not yeah. pressure sensitive. Uh, think, think back to how long it took to get the ability to keep your phone on during takeoff, uh, even in airplane mode. This is, mm-hmm. this is not an agency that moves fast and they've proven that with the drone issue. Uh, and they've shown in all of the decisions they've made about the drone issue that they are going to continue to drag their feet. Uh, they wouldn't describe it that way. They would say, be, you know, be cautious and careful. Uh, and so no, they're, they're not going to be able to fly Amazon drone shipping in the United States by the end of this year. We might have a little movement on, on the approval. They might get a test site by the end of this year, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but as far as launching a service, absolutely no way. Now, in other countries like Australia that I mentioned where they're, they're much more open about drone testing and allowing people, uh, to fly this around. It's still an outside possibility, but I think it at least could happen there. It's definitely not going to happen in the U.S. Yeah, uh, I I have to agree with you once again. Um, I I can't imagine the FAA, even with the the argument that other businesses are able to kind of try this out. I mean, when you look at the size of Amazon's delivery business, they just that. The thought of that many drones flying through the air, dropping packages willy nilly is enough to send most people to say we need to be really careful and make sure this works 100 percent of the time before we agree to it, because this is an incredibly huge and diverse and complicated system. So, uh, yeah, I, I will be absolutely shocked if Amazon's drone program is in the air. Uh, it also will mean that we'll. Probably by the time Amazon does get this launched, literally, um, we're also going to see the the competing services like Google's uh, proposed drone delivery service. So at that point, we may not ever see the sky again. Yeah, they'll just be covered in drones, just covered in drones and an well, occasional bird. Yeah, you, you'll but you'll get your electric toothbrush on time. So right. that's good. Yeah. All right. Their next prediction was that in 2015, Uber will file an IPO. Uber will go public in 2015. This despite the various trials and tribulations Uber has had, uh, not just with trying to get, uh, trying to get a foothold in various markets that have resisted Uber moving in, but also the internal issues that have faced Uber. So do you think Uber is going to be able to overcome all that and go forward in declaring, uh, or, or, uh, to, to file an IPO? And my instinct is to say no, that that would be a bad idea. They really need to focus on their public image, et cetera, et cetera. But two things make me think that I'm wrong in having that impulse. One is whenever I think that about a company going IPO, they always go IPO anyway, because the reason they put out their stock has nothing to do with my instincts. They usually have some other much more arcane financial calculation that shows them that it is the right time. And the other thing I would say is the folks at Uber don't really seem to mind if people have a perception of them that they don't agree with. They go ahead and do what they want anyway, uh, yeah, like operating their service in places that have declared it illegal, for instance. So, yeah, I, I think it's probably likely that if Uber thinks it's the right time to IPO, they'll IPO this year. Now, I've got another uh, a related question. This this doesn't have to do with the prediction, just a I want to get your perspective on this. Uh, you know, Uber is often referred to as part of the, the sharing economy. Do you actually see Uber as, as a, a, a type of sharing kind of service? I always think of Uber as really, 
a taxi replacement. I mean, that yeah. I've used it, but I don't think of it as sharing like the way I thought the sharing economy was a, intended to be used. And actually, I think that's the problem that Uber has run into and Airbnb start to run into this uh, a little bit as well, which is it started as, hey, it's just somebody who wants to use a thing they already have and make a little extra money off it. Right. Right. I'm going to have a ride, and so I'm going to make my car available when I'm driving somewhere. And it's become people who said, oh, that's a really great idea. I'm going to become a professional at that. And then Uber has to start vetting the drivers. And then Uber has to start taking more responsibility for the system as a whole and institute surge pricing. And suddenly, you're right. It is a taxi service. So I think it has evolved beyond just being the sharing economy. Like, I think of the sharing economy, Airbnb still exists more in that, where it's I can say, oh, okay, I'm going to rent out the place that I live in for a couple of weeks. But even then, the Airbnb economy has become so big, you have to do a lot to prepare your place for someone to stay in it. It's less of the couch surfing feel. And I think Uber's well beyond that. Like, just because you own a car doesn't mean you're just going to hop in and start using Uber. That's As a driver, I mean. I I totally agree. Well, how about a couple of predictions? These came from a site called Bread and Beyond. Uh, that I assume the predictions were made quite some time ago, but they are for 2015. But here's one that I thought was incredibly optimistic. They said they believe that Google Glass will head into mass production in 2015. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I, I'll give that one like a 62% chance. Okay. You're, you're more optimistic than I am. Although am I? I, I, well, I'll say this. Google has proven time and again that they are willing to charge into something, whether there's any proof that there's going to be a modicum of success or not. Uh, a lot, I think there are a lot of strikes against Google Glass. I say this as someone who owns Google Glass. I love Google Glass, but there have been, I think most of the coverage of Google Glass, the, the vast majority of it has really been couched in caution saying it's not really ready yet it's not it's not appealing enough to consumers and that makes me think that it's just enough of a risk considering that this is a hardware thing as well that google may not jump in by the end of 2015 but that's that's just based upon the thing the various articles i've read uh and you know i well i have mine so i don't I don't have a dog in this fight. I've got my pair. So, yeah, but don't you want the new pair, the more stylish pair, the more capable pair with the better resolution? Well, yes, of course I do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, that's why. And, and Google has formed so many partnerships with design companies, uh, people who do eyewear. I feel like this has been on simmer because they're busy making sure that what they come out with looks a lot better. Uh, and as we saw, there were those leaked Snapchat emails about them partnering, uh, with an eyewear company. In fact, I think they might have acquired, uh, the eyewear company that makes, uh, a kind of Google Glass, except it's not actively connected to the internet. It doesn't have Wi-Fi in it. You have to download the video later and it's very focused on video, but they looked like stylish glasses. And that, that's really the big thing that I think people think of when they think of Google Glasses, that they're kind of awkward looking. And so Google, don't forget, they they made partnerships with several different eyewear companies. I I would be very surprised if we didn't see at least a line of stylish Google Glass showed off at, at, at maybe Google I.O. in the summer mm-hmm. uh, and then possibly launched in 2015. I could also see them 
sort of saying, well, we're going to do another pilot program for certain people to try these out to kind of build the buzz back up around them being stylish before they actually put them in mass production. So that's why I'm more 62% because they might not quite go into mass production until 2016. Okay. All right. Well, how about this one? This is also from Bread and Beyond. Firefox OS will flop and never go mainstream. Well, <laughs> the, the OS for the mobile devices. Um, yes, I'm going to make the same prediction about Sailfish and <laughs> all the other operating systems that have small market share. Like, why are you picking on Firefox OS? I, yeah, I, I don't think anyone has huge expectations for Firefox OS. I kind of hope that it catches fire. And I think it has a shot at catching mm-hmm. on because the developing market, uh, especially for low cost phones, is kind of open for everybody right now, and they've got a compelling offering. But I, I think it's pretty obvious the cards are stacked against them. So, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to would... dispute that, but I'm still <laughs> cheering for Firefox OS. Well, yeah, you've got you've got the mountain of Android and iOS basically. I mean, Microsoft can't overcome those those right? problems. So, I mean, and they've been in this game for a while. Of course, you could argue that they've just been playing the wrong game the entire time, but but they've been in it. Uh, I guess my reaction is because they say Firefox OS will flop as if the entire world is cheering like Firefox OS is going to be the big hit of 2015. And I think to flop, it would have to have that kind of expectation. I don't gotcha. think that's the expectation. So it's, so it's more like Firefox OS will uh, will will never get beyond a modest but respectable market share. I get it. Yeah, that's probably right on right there. All right. How about uh, this one? This is another pretty ambitious one. We might see autonomous cars before the end of 2015. Ooh, wow. Really? I hope I, that's I, true, but I, I, I'm i very skeptical that that would be yeah, true. I can't believe it. I mean, I, I've covered this so much. But uh, the Google, of course, they have their prototype uh, smart cars that they produce, like a, maybe like a 100 of them. They're not meant to go on sale. They're specifically for testing. But... Uh, if if we saw a truly autonomous car for sale in 2015, it would shock me. Yeah, I it, would. It, I I I would also be shocked and lying on the floor next to you. Okay, yeah, because I mean, because just to for my listeners here, it's not the technology that I really see as the the big obstacle. Although there, you know, you still want to get the technology in a form factor that's going to be pleasant. You don't want a car that has a big weird antenna thing sticking out of it that's going to make everyone stare at your vehicle. Uh, or maybe you do. I don't know. But the real challenge, I think, is going to be legislative. How do we convince the various uh, regions to allow this sort of thing? Now, there's some places that have already passed laws that have made it very simple for Google to test their vehicles in those areas. But the thing about cars is they're mobile and they go to different places. <laughs> Yeah. So what if your car suddenly becomes illegal when you pass a certain area? <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't a self-driving car have to already be in the approval process to be able to be sold? By I would imagine I would imagine so. I mean, yeah. I I can't imagine that that would move quickly enough for that to happen. So that's another reason. I mean, the, especially when you look at the Google cars, they have essentially two controls, which is start this car and turn this car off. And then everything else is handled by, I guess, uh, pairing with a phone or something along those lines. But there's no brake or accelerator. So even if you wanted to take manual control of one of those prototype cars, you couldn't. 
there's no option there. Then they, in fact, they had to modify them to meet the street rules because of that. People, yeah. you know, people, they're like, look, as long as you have a stop button, that's really all that matters. And, and they got a lot of flack for that. Right. So there's still a lot of, uh, a lot of fear, uncertainty and doubt around self-driving cars. Yeah. And, and I, I personally, I, I'm really looking for it. I don't drive. So I'm really looking forward to self-driving cars coming around and being, for sure, uh, being a real thing. Cause I know that these systems can react at a fraction of the time that it takes a human to react in those situations. It's really only the worst case scenario where something has gone irreparably wrong with the system that you would have to worry about something. And I don't think it's as common as a lot of people seem to think it is, especially when you compare it to all the terrible things that can happen to a human behind the wheel of a car, where something as simple as a distraction can cause a terrible accident. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is a psychological reluctance, not a scientific reluctance. Yeah. Well, IDC also had some, uh, predictions. One was that the phablet market. Are you a fan of the, the term phablet? Tom? No. Okay. That's, I'm glad to hear it. Uh, those, those phone tablet hybrids, the enormous phones like the six plus and the Nexus six, uh, they, that, market will grow as people demand these larger devices, but wearables will underperform mm. in 2015, which well, is kind of going against what that first prediction said. I, I think the, the, the idea that I, and, and by the way, when you, when you asked me if I, I don't like phablet, I did, you, you said the name and that's what yes. I meant. Right, right, right. I don't want people to get the misimpression that I don't like six inch devices. I think they're fine. Yeah. You know, I don't have a moral stance on them. If that's the kind of size of uh screen you need, then that's great. And I know that's right for a lot of people. I think that this is a very safe prediction for IDC. Like, Oh, we got our first couple of six inch phones this year. So we'll have more and therefore we'll sell more. I think that's 100% true because we haven't seen a big backlash or disappointing sales from the Nexus six or the iPhone six plus. So why wouldn't we sell more in 2015? The wearables underperforming is is more of a not a risky prediction, but that to me is more of a substantial prediction that what we've been seeing with wearables won't be changed by the onslaught of more wearable releases in 2015, which we're definitely going to see. We're going to see more products put out there. What they're saying is people still won't flock to them. And I think that's probably true. Yeah, I mean, there's certain certain markets that I think uh, wearables obviously appeal to the fitness market being the, like, that was such a great, uh, way of getting into the whole fitness or the wearable industry, I should say, because it, it appeals in so many ways that, that is a, that is a particular space in our lives where we crave to have that feedback, that data, where we can either use it to figure out if we're, if we're pushing ourselves enough, if we're pushing too hard, we're not doing something correctly. It makes perfect sense. Going beyond that is a real challenge. And I don't, I think it's, I think it's a challenge we'll overcome. I don't know necessarily that the products that are going to be coming out in 2015 are going to do that, uh, where we start to see wearables that are uh, addressing other things in our lives apart from fitness and activity tracking to make it more of a, um, something that we absolutely must have. Uh, I, th I still think the fitness ones are going to do fine. I think those are going to continue to do well. Um, assuming that the bands that people make don't have metals in them that cause folks to break out. So 
Don't they keep uh, saying it's not the band? It's not the band. Yeah, I think they do, but you know, I I didn't own one of those, so I didn't have that particular experience. I am particularly sensitive to nickel. I can't have nickel against me or else I break out. So I just get careful about any kind of wearable device at this point. Uh, but yeah, I, I think I agree. And especially not just that we're going to see more of the phablet form factor, uh, come out in 2015, but just that it's, it's interesting. It's a reverse of the trend that we used to see. Do you remember back when, the trend was that our phones were getting smaller and smaller, and that became like a status symbol. If you had a really small phone, that oh meant, yeah, yeah, I yeah. remember um, being so proud and excited that I had gotten a Motorola Razor because it mm. was so thin and small, right? And you could just and slide it in a pocket. I remember there was an SNL skit where Will Ferrell had a character who pulls out a, a phone that's so small, I think he had to use tweezers to do the little flip phone Wasn't that action. a Steve Jobs imitation? It may have been. There yeah. Was one, there was, that, I remember that, was that one skit. Of the, it was one of the mall ones. Jimmy Fallon was in it and was laughing the whole time. I know that doesn't narrow it down at all. Right, but, right. So there was The Tonight Show, the entire run? Which, right, exactly. Yeah. It was that. Uh, the Roots came out. It was amazing. So, uh, but no, it, it's so funny that now it's the other way around. And of course, the the obvious answer to that is that now we have these devices that can act as a second screen. And obviously, screen uh, landscape is going to be really important in that in that form factor. Now we now we've shifted what our phones do. So it wouldn't make sense to continue to push for smaller and smaller phones in that new world. So uh, it's just funny to me that we've we've gone from an era where we always thought the future is going to have us have smaller and smaller phones. Now it's no, we want bigger and bigger phones. Well, because it stopped being about voice, right? Yeah. When it was all about voice, they're like, well, we don't we don't need an object. We just want to hear the voice. And now it's the opposite. Smartphones are rarely about calls. They're almost entirely about apps and 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 messaging. So you need a screen to be able to take advantage of that. That's absolutely correct. Well, here's a, another incredibly risky prediction from IDC. The Internet of Things will continue to grow and drive innovation with embedded tech and preventive maintenance becoming really important. I think you could just drop off things out of that and make it an <laughs> yeah. even safer prediction. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know how we could be, how we could make that not be true. <laughs> uh, you know, I guess, I guess there's still some people who might be skeptical about the internet of things just to play devil's advocate. Uh, yeah. and, and that it will end up just being a bunch of buzzwords that don't do anything. Uh, so that, that's why they make this prediction is like, no, it's, it's going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to have, uh, more sensors. The one prediction that I saw someone make out there that I've started to think about is the idea of the internet of things being rentable. So that hmm. you don't buy the things, uh, but there is an there is an Internet of Things out there you can take advantage of when you need it. Interesting. I could see that because, I mean, that it obviously if you were to to jump into the world of the Internet of Things, if you wanted to incorporate embeddable technology in your world, that's a pretty big upfront cost that not everyone can do. But something along those lines where. It's more like a service as opposed to something you own. I could I could see that. Like the uh, one the one example I saw had to do with the insurance company. It was like Internet of Things as a service so that you could only pay for just the amount you actually need. Mm. Now, I like that idea. Someone should get on that. <laughs> uh, as for whether or not the Internet of Things ends up being a bunch of buzzwords, at least in the short term, it doesn't matter. 
because so many companies are so invested in bringing this kind of stuff to market that it's going to be a factor. Whether or not it works is another question, but it's going to be out there. So it's it's definitely going to play an important role in 2015. It may be yeah. that 2015 is the year where we decide whether or not it ends up working. Oh, and yeah. or what it works for. Yeah. Like I, I have a feeling that it's just too broad of a concept for it not to work somewhere sure. uh, in some niche somewhere. I, I think we'll figure out what that is in the coming year or at least well, start I mean, to anyway. In, in going back to automotives, I mean, you could easily see an Internet of Things approach helping out there with everything from uh, uh, just route planning for your your daily commute to on a city planning level to figuring out, well, what's the best way we need to relook at, at how all of our intersection uh, uh, traffic lights time out. Yeah. And now we've got all this amazing data that we can sift through and and actually make a, a city that you're not going to be sitting in traffic for you know two and a half hours every day. Tom, you live in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, we we don't have that problem here because no. uh, as the city of Los Angeles is proud to point out, all of our lights are timed across the entire city, yeah, which has solved all traffic problems in Los Angeles. It's exactly the same in Atlanta. Uh, just the other day. Uh, as we were stopped on the highway, I got out of my car and just marveled at how well <laughs> everything was moving. All right. Well, uh, moving over to, to Gartner, uh, there was, there were a lot of predictions. They said lots of stuff was going to double in 2015. For example, getting back to the Internet of Things, that the number of physical objects connected to the Internet would double. Hmm. Uh, that would be from 650 million to 13, 1.3 billion, I guess. Wow. Uh, that's a lot. Uh, they also thought that the market for 3D printers would go from a billion dollars to two billion dollars. So it would double as well mm-hmm. that we would see twice as many car models with connectivity to the Internet as we did in 2014. I don't know that that's that huge of a number, really, when you get down to it, depending upon what you mean by connectivity. Sure. And then um, we'll see more companies create positions for chief data officers and chief digital officers. Mm. So a lot of these I I. I don't know that I would agree that all of them are going to double. I certainly see all of these being trends that are on the rise. Yeah. I don't know if I'd double down on Gartner's predictions. Uh, yeah. But I, I, and, and that's really what Gartner's saying. I mean, Gartner deals in numbers, so they're probably pretty close to accurate. Uh, but they're saying, like, we are going to see significant increases in all of those areas. And I think they're right. Uh, I think 3D printing is ripe for its big moment in the sun. Uh, you know, it's, I don't think it's quite to the level of a 3D printer in every home yet, but I think it'll start to hit the mainstream probably. So I, I'm, I'm with most of those. I, I actually think the chief digital officer, chief data officer is definitely going to be affected by what we talked about earlier with the security hacks. Yeah. Uh, I think it will become even more of a security position or even uh, a position of chief cybersecurity officer. As much as I hate that term, it, it does convey what companies mean when they talk about it. Mm, that's excellent point. I agree. Uh, moving over to, to recode. I, I love that almost all of their predictions were about cloud-based services and mobile devices. Well, almost did you see who wrote their predictions article? Oh, I, I didn't write it down. Who was it? Steve Sanofsky. Former oh, okay. Microsoft head of, uh, office and right. Windows. So yeah, it was all about cloud-based services, mobile devices. <laughs> I love that the first one was about the behavior of millennials. They're talking about a, a 
the behavior of millennials on top of the, the security issues related to having emails that contain attachments, the problems that 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 ends up bringing along with companies means that we're going to see more of a move to alternatives to email stuff like instant messaging or other means of linking to content, but not actually sending it as an attachment so that you don't have all these copies floating around. Hmm. Uh, meaning that email isn't going to die, but its importance is going to decrease in 2015. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think this plays into a couple of other things. I think the idea of ubiquitous cloud is going to make it so that you can use that option more often. It's interesting to me that Google this very week announced that you can now attach Google Docs to email, not just send a link. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously still a demand out there for it. No, I actually needed the attachment. I, I don't want a link. I want the document to be there in their inbox, even offline, once that email has been downloaded. Uh, so I, it may be a little early for getting rid of attachments altogether, but it certainly is more efficient. So having that option is great, and it will continue to be used in more and greater numbers. I think we are starting to learn as a society how to use email. I don't think email is going to go away. I don't think email is going to die. But I think he is pointing to something important here, which is there are times when you need to message someone and people sometimes use email for that. And I think we're we're learning, oh, you know what? Don't use email as if it's instant messenger. Use instant messenger. Use text messaging for that. Uh, and, and we'll probably start getting better at figuring out what tool to use for the right communication job. And I, I, also agree with the point that we're seeing, you know, the, the millennial generation moving through the workforce, getting promoted, getting further up into leadership positions over time. Obviously, that's going to be uh, go hand in hand with a shift in the way we use the technology. Oh, yeah. Because just because there's a generational difference. I mean, I, I remember when I first got into the, the workforce that there was a generational difference. I worked for people who asked me to print out all their emails. So they had to have all of them like printed out on file. They didn't, they didn't understand that they could go and look at the digital version anytime they wanted to. And that it was in fact easier to track it down than it filing away a a printed out email. So it is one of those things that does change over time. And, And again, maybe it's just that I've gotten to this certain age where I'm just thinking like, don't make me use all those newfangled messaging things. I'm tired of learning things. I don't want to. Don't make me snap my chat. I don't want to Insta my gram. I just want my email. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, it's funny. I, I worry about that. Like, am I ossifying or is this a bad app? <laughs> I just don't know anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I sit there and I, I usually have to turn to my wife and say, does this come across as someone who is rationally pointing out uh, flaws in the design of an app? Or just, uh, just descended into cranky old man territory. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's a fine it's a, line. It's a, it's a coin flip, usually, you know, 50-50 situation. Uh, there was also an interesting prediction that said that tablets in 2015 would make a surprising comeback, that they would become more uh, popular, which is particularly interesting because there was another site, MSP Mentor, that predicted that tablets would fade away as a secondary device behind <laughs> laptops and smartphones. So somebody's going to be wrong, but somebody's going to be right. So who do you think's going to be right, Tom? I'd say, Jonathan, don't call it a comeback. Tablets have been here for years. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Uh, uh, no, I, 
I think probably we won't see a huge spike in tablet sales, but they're far from dying. The yeah. re- my theory of why we've seen a stall in tablet sales is based on my own experience, which I have an original Nexus 7 that I still use. I'm just now getting to the point where I think maybe I should get a new 7-inch tablet because there are a few apps that have come out that won't run on it because it's old. Mm. The operating system's still up to date, but it just doesn't have the oomph uh, to run certain things. And I have an iPad third generation that I still haven't run out. I haven't run into a problem with. So tablets are more like desktop computers in that way. You can use them for longer. And so, yeah, we had a huge spike in sales of tablets as people discovered them and started using them and buying them. And of course, we're going to have a stall as people say, I've got a tablet. I don't need to buy another tablet. And then it will start to come back as those tablets get older and you're like, well, this one's this one's starting to not be as useful. I need to upgrade, get a new one. Uh, and, and so I think we'll maybe see a slight rise a slight comeback. I don't, I don't think it'll be sharp, but probably a little bit of a, a comeback in tablets. Yeah, I can see that being more of a, a kind of a cyclical thing. Like when, when the first iPad came out and then iPad 2 came out, we saw a lot of people upgrading from the iPad to iPad 2 because the novelty was still there, right? The The desire to have the newest, shiniest thing, this thing that was so amazing that, you know, Apple had come out with this tablet that no one had ever made a tablet before. Or at least no one made one that was appealing to a mass consumer market like Apple did. Right. And then the iPad 2 recaptured some of that excitement. And I think since then, it's, it's, people have realized, like you were saying, that this is a device that is, there's no need for me to upgrade it yet. There's not a compelling enough reason. It, it does what I need it to do. I, and I'm actually seeing that across a lot of different things now where people, are kind of settling in the way they would with computers. They buy a computer and they think, well, sure, the computer I own this year, you know, I bought it last year. It's nowhere near as fast as the newest ones, but it does everything I need it to do. So I'm going to stick with it until I need to upgrade. I'm seeing that more with other kinds of electronics now. So I, and I, I do think we are hitting that, that part of the phase. I also have a Nexus seven. I also am getting into the point where I'm thinking it might be time to upgrade because there's some loading issues i'm having now things are taking longer to... yeah it gets a it just gets a little slower at running everything yeah so uh yeah i can i can see it that way i i it that makes more sense to me than calling it a comeback it definitely makes more sense in that respect as opposed to people just suddenly rediscovering tablets again yeah. um well i've got a couple of questions that are just general questions for you uh something that i've been wondering every single year i i kind of uh, have an NFC prediction, which was always that NFC is going to continue to be pushed and it's going to continue to encounter resistance uh, for adoption and we're not going to see it happen. But do you think that 2015 is finally the year that NFC actually enters mainstream use in the United States? I think Apple may have done NFC the biggest favor it could ever have as a standard uh, by putting it in Apple Pay. I still don't think NFC is going to be a huge thing that people thought it was going to revolutionize the way you use devices. I just I just don't see that. There's plenty of things that can do similar things to NFC, which is why I don't think we've ever seen people get on board. At the same time, I feel like we're seeing NFC follow the route of Bluetooth. Uh, Bluetooth was out in Comdex 1999, mm-hmm. right? And it, it took years for the technology to finally figure out 
oh, that's what we can use Bluetooth for. And at first it was Bluetooth headsets uh, for your cell phones, and, and then it marched on into other things. So NFC may be following that more plodding route to like, oh, Apple Pay is sort of the equivalent of the Bluetooth headset, uh, the Bluetooth earpiece. And, and, and we'll, we'll have another one coming along here in the next year or two. Oh, NFC is also good for that. But I, I still don't think it's going to be that revolutionary thing that some people said it would become. Yeah. I think the one thing that is really in favor of NFC, apart from Apple getting involved, obviously that just adds more confusion and, and competition in that, that space because we've seen vendors, so some retail establishments, resist Apple Pay because they have their own NFC based payment system. Well, that that they, the one the one isn't even NFC based, but yeah. Right, that's true. Uh so it's it's interesting well, we to have see QR that. codes, Jonathan. Right. Yeah. Have you heard of these things? Uh they used to be on movie posters and no one <laughs> knew why. Um no it's it's I think I think the the hack the hacks we saw with the Kmart incident, for example, mm. that Kmart's credit card machines were, were that, that essentially hacked, that people got credit cards, that information that way. That is adding a lot more pressure. And the United States government is adding more pressure, that, calling for more secure systems to protect consumers, that that might end up helping more than anything else, at least in 2015, uh, whether we see NFC being the solution, I don't know. I think chip and pen is another possibility, um, not necessarily an NFC implementation. But I, I think it's got its best chance in 2015 that it's ever had. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with you there, for sure. I, I don't know that it's going to make it, but it's it's way closer than it was in 2014. Uh, and then my last question for you, a burning question Everyone wants to know, will the Firefox browser switching to Yahoo search engine make a big difference? Huge, huge. Yeah. You're going to see Google selling off YouTube and uh, <laughs> its headquarters buildings. All of their yeah. autonomous cars are now going to come with drivers. Right, right. They're going to hire drivers. No, I, I think it will be interesting. I think it'll be good for Yahoo. Uh, yeah. I think it will make Google a little sharper. But that company, Google uh, in particular, uh, has way too much money as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think all this does is pokes the bear and lets them know that they can't rest on their laurels. Uh, and it gives Marissa Meyer a victory, which she desperately needed. So mm -hmm. it's good for Yahoo in that way. And, yeah, I mean, it makes a difference. I don't know that it it really is going to upset the the balance of the search engine marketplace too terribly. Um, it, you know, Bing got on to uh, iOS in Siri uh, and, and that didn't like shake the ground. Uh, Bing is the default search engine on iOS in a couple of different areas, just not in the browser yet. Maybe it'll get in the browser. I don't know. I think, I think th those sorts of things pale by comparison to Google's ridiculously dominant market share worldwide, especially in Europe where it's like above 90%. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I when I read about it, I thought, well, that's interesting, and I I respect what's going on. Um, it almost sounded like Google was just bidding up its own uh its own claim to Firefox, just enough for it to be inconvenient for anyone else. <laughs> and I but, should disclose that my wife is an employee of Google, so don't believe anything I say. 
Okay, that's fair. All right, we will just completely disregard yeah. the last question. Well, well then, Tom, is there anything else you want to say? Any other predictions that we didn't mention that you felt were interesting or controversial or anything like that? Um, no, I, you know, what, we didn't bring up any of the like, will Apple release X? Because we know they're doing the Apple Watch that's coming next year. Right, that's announced. Right. And you know, there are certain things you can count on every year. You can count on updates to the hardware from Apple, that sort of stuff. Uh, there's not really any point in predicting that. that. I guess the the burning question that we've had for years, the other burning question we've had for years is an Apple television. Uh, mm. Are we gonna? Are we actually going to get that? I saw that Gene Munster said we're going to get one in 2016, uh, which, you know, every year Gene Munster has been saying we're going to get one in a couple of years. So that seems pretty <laughs> consistent. Right. Uh, I, I don't disbelieve that. He has sources on the inside that say, yeah, Apple's still working on something regarding television. I just, I don't know that we'll see it this year. That, that is such a problematic arena. I guess the one thing that I would say is don't forget that both Verizon, Dish, and Sony plan to come out with internet only cable television services in the United States, uh, in the coming year. We don't know what shape they're going to take, but they will have Many of the same channels that you would get in a normal cable or satellite package. And of course, you have HBO saying they're going to launch a direct to the consumer internet service. CBS already launched their direct to the internet, uh, direct to the consumer internet service. So that landscape will change by the end of the year. I don't know if Apple is, uh, is going to get in on it yet, but maybe in 2016 after we see how that all shakes out. That is interesting. It could be that who knows, maybe at the predictions episode for, for 2016, we start talking about serious, you know, some serious talk about the decline of cable at that point. Yeah, right. Absolutely. You know, I mean, we're, we're, we've been talking about this for years and we've been seeing this. I mean, you've got a whole show devoted to this kind of thing. Cord cutters, uh, or cord killers, is it? Cord killers. Cord yeah, killers. It's more violent. I, Sorry. I, yeah, I apologize. I, 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 I am such a PG-13 really kind of guy, you yeah. know. But no, cord killers, where you talk about these kind of things, and it's something that we've seen for a while. Heck, I talked to CNN about it several years ago and then got in trouble. Um, <laughs> but now we're, we're actually seeing this come to fruition. It's, it's pretty interesting and exciting to see it, you know, roll out on a broader scale. And I really do wonder by the end of 2015, what that's going to mean for the, the cable industry as a whole, not just, um, not just a channel here or a channel there. I mean, the the it may open up opportunities and i'm sure it's going to put a lot of people in a very stressful position for most of 2015 yeah i i think we might be seeing peak cable right now i yeah i think you might be right i mean if we get to a point if we ever get to that point where people can go more a la carte which is it's incredibly hard to do Mm-hmm. It's incredibly from a from a provider standpoint, it's incredibly hard to do because you're counting as a provider on the money from your big name channels to support the ones that supply content to a niche audience, but just don't make the money that they would in order to survive on their own. If you enter into a world where people just get to pick and choose, some stuff's going to die. It's just not going to it's not going to be able to maintain the level of production that people expect. So it may be that. Who knows, in a couple of years, our expectations for what is entertainment is going to change fundamentally. Yeah, I don't even think that necessarily means we'll have worse things to watch either. It just means that 
we might have fewer outlets or a different selection of outlets. I mean, don't forget Amazon Prime, Hulu, and obviously Netflix, all making high quality uh, television entertainment that they deliver through their internet only services. So it's not like there's a lack of providers out there. I think some of those odd off channels that not as many people watch though, go the, the, the way of the nineties. You just, you, you think of them as, as something old fashioned. Right. Well, I mean, if this just means that I get more quality programming, like a re, a, a, a reincarnation of the tick, because it's coming back on yes. Amazon. I'm happy. I love that series. All right. Well, Tom Merritt, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Thank you, Jonathan. It's uh, it, was, it was a fun talk. I can't believe it's already been through an hour here. This was yeah. this time flew by. This was fun. Yeah, this is this was this was the right way to do a predictions episode too. Yeah, smart move. <laughs> Let's grade other people and not talk about our own. <laughs> um, so, where can people find your stuff? Uh, well, TomMerritt.com, two R's, two T's, is my main website that collects all the shows I do in one place. Uh, so you can find the subscription page there and and find out uh, the different shows. But probably of most interest to it, folks interested in tech stuff would be Daily Tech News Show, DailyTechNewsShow.com. Uh, I do it entirely crowdfunded, uh, so it's absolutely free and ad-free. Uh, go check it out. We do it every day, Monday through Friday, most of the days. We'll have a little holiday break. Um, but we'll have some special episodes there, including a predictions episode where I will actually go out on a limb and, and make some, some predictions. Uh, I will learn next year from Jonathan not to do that. <laughs> I, I can't believe you haven't learned that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I think you did it with CNET. I mean, like, yeah. you've got, a, you've got a long history of making predictions. The, the fun part is coming back a year later and actually grading yourself. I, yeah, I do, I, do that, I do that too, actually. The predictions results show is actually really fun. Yeah, it could be a blast. I usually end up giving fake uh, prizes for all the different answers. <laughs> nice. Like well, that. yeah, yeah. This year, I think um, I think the, the top prize was a Stretch Armstrong, whose arms have been stretched out too far. That's a good prize. Yeah, it's pretty good. Well, nice. it, gives a, it gives a good hug. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can get in touch with me with the email address techstuff at howstuffworks.com or drop me a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. I have the handle techstuffhsw at all three. And we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 